And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 1 through 7 on this Mother's Day. We'll look at lasting legacies of lived out faith. Say that a few times quickly. Lasting legacies of lived out faith in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We'll kind of do a follow-up or a part a B to where we were last week looking at following Jesus in new seasons and look at uh, Timothy and uh, continue this relationship with Paul and Timothy. And it wasn't last week just really remarkable to graduate 46 seniors and commission them off to where God has uh, called them to go and um, just a joy to watch and see and to see the excitement across the room as 46 seniors prepare for what's next. And there's a lot of parents preparing for what's next, a lot of just individuals preparing for what's next, where's God taking us, where, what's next for us. So this morning, we want to kind of follow up with that in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7, and study these seven verses, and it's just something good about studying God's word together. What I want us to do this morning is just take these seven verses, let them soak into our hearts and our spirits, and so as always, we would leave out of this place different than when we came in. So let's read together, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I want to pause for just a moment. This isn't part of my sermon. This is just, this is bonus material right here, okay? This is bonus, all right? So you don't have to write this down. It's just bonus. It's probably not any good, but we'll see what happens, all right? I want you to look at the way Paul talks about Timothy. From a mentor relationship, from a a disciple type relationship, before we even talk about the text, just I want you to see how Paul, just the way he talks about Timothy. He says, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, recognize Paul is not, Tim- Timothy is not Paul's child, all right? So let's just make that clear. My beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I just think it's so beautiful. In this disciple mentor relationship, Paul talked about Timothy with such a fatherly, loving, parental tone to say, Timothy, my beloved son, I've walked with you, I, love, I'm, I, love, I cannot wait to see you as you cried. I probably cried too when we got to meet. There's just, a, just like a joy in walking beside Timothy. So just before we get into this, it just, I wanted to add one through three and four because it just, I think it's so beautiful to see what a disciple relationship. For those of you who've had disciples in your life, you poured your life into somebody, you would probably echo this. Sunday school teachers, by the time they get into your class and they're nervous about walking into your class and from the moment they graduate out and go to the next grade, they've become like your children, like you're excited to see them grow up and see what God's gonna lead them to, right? You walk with them, you just, you love them and you wanna see Christ formed in them. He says, verse five, I'm reminded, Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your 
mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words. Would they instruct us? Would they teach us? Would they help us? Would they mold us and make us more and more daily into your image? Well, thank you for these seven verses of Paul writing to Timothy to encourage him to fan the flame of the gift that he has been given. Or as we instruct our hearts this morning, we submit all of this into your hands. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to zero in on verse five for a moment. I reminded of Timothy, your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Let's look number one on your outline, or the first blank on your outline is Lois and Eunice had a lived out faith. Lois and Eunice had a lived out faith. Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice obviously had a deep and sincere lived out faith that rubbed off onto Timothy. If you zoom down over to 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes again to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, uh, from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's apparent that from an early age, Timothy was getting the gospel, the scripture, week after week from an earliest of age, right? Timothy was enrolled in Bible fellowship classes. Timothy was there seeing the scriptures played out through his his mom and through his grandmother. Now, other scriptures would seem to think that Timothy did not have a believing father, It would maybe seem that from other scriptures that Timothy had a believing grandmother and a mother, but his father was not a believer. And so from an early age, Timothy is being shown the gospel through his mom and through his grandmother. I can think of few more richer gifts that a mom and a grandmother can give to their kids and their grandkids than a lived out faith. If you look at this scripture and you see that I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and in your mother, Eunice. Now, let's take those two words. If you circle that word dwelt, let's unpack that word for just a moment. What does it mean that this faith dwelt in Lois and Eunice first? If you look at another place that Paul would use the word dwelt, you would see Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean for the faith to dwell in you? What does it mean for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly? I believe that when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, it comes out of you naturally, right? When the word of Christ so dwells in you, so finds a home in you, when the word of Christ and the faith dwells in your soul, then it's going to come out of you naturally. It's going to be a lived out daily abundance of your soul. So for Lois and for Eunice, their faith was dwelt in them. It lived in them. It was a part of them. It wasn't head knowledge. It wasn't something that they were doing out of duty or obligation. It was a part of their soul, the fiber of their DNA. It's what oozed out of them at every opportunity that they came to. For Lois and Eunice, they had a dwelt in, lived in faith. And so the obvious thing is that it came out of them and Timothy had a front row seat to see it. 
as I look back on my own mom and my own grandmothers, I'm thankful that I had a front row seat to see how God used them in the world around them, in my own life. I'm reminded of a particular story about my mom and grandmother being on the second pew of the church that we went to growing up. And again, we sat on the second pew because the deacons sat on the first pew and we sat on the second pew every single Sunday. And I'm also recognizing that in one service Sunday, y'all better get here early in case there's 11 o'clocker who has your pew, right? Be duking it out before the service. Who's getting each other's pew? That's beside the point. All right. So I can recall vividly after a service one Sunday that I saw my grandmother just, just weeping. Went over to her and just said, you know, Mama, what's going on? Are you okay? And just with tears emanating through her eyes, she just said, Mark, I'm praying that you would know Jesus. It's a memory from my earliest of age. I remember Mama just crying these big, big tears. Just, she was on her knees praying in the midst of an invitation time that I would know Jesus. Same with my mom. Can remember on a Saturday afternoon, we were going crazy and couldn't find her. And there she was on the side of the bed praying for us. These little moments of lived out faith. Not moments of just, hey, we're going to go to church and go through the motions, but a dwelt in, a lived in faith, a faith that she was comfortable in that came out of her naturally. Lois and Eunice obviously had a lived out faith, a lived in faith, a well-worn faith that they were comfortable in. And so Timothy grew up with a foundation being laid for him. If you go a few verses over, you see, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example. Timothy was set an example by his mother and his grandmother of a lived out faith. We talked about you're never too young to set an example. You're never too old to set an example. You don't say when I become a grandmother, then I'm going to start setting an example for those below me. You don't say when I become a mom, I'm going to start setting an example. We are always setting an example. So Timothy would have seen a tangible expression of faith lived out. He also would have heard a tangible expression of faith lived out through the words, through the interactions in the marketplaces with his mom and grandmother, with unbelievers and with the lost and with the hurting and the needy that are around him. The greatest gift, moms and grandmothers, dads and grandfathers, that you can pass along to your children is a well-lived-in and dwelled-in faith. A faith that emanates out of you through every interaction with people around you. A faith that is not merely lip service or head knowledge, but it is a lived in, well-worn faith. This morning, let's both examine Lois and Eunice's lived out faith, but let's look at number two on your outline. What does it mean when Paul reminds Timothy, verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's unpack fanning into flame for moms and grandmothers, for dads and grandfathers, for mentors and mentees, for bosses, for teachers, for Bible fellowship teachers, for all of us across this room, whether we are a mom or a grandmother or not, we can help this product or the process to fan into flame. So what does that mean? Number one in your outline, each of you, each of us have a gift. Now I want to make that extremely and abundantly clear this morning that all of us across this room, if you are a believer today, you have a gift. Let's see for just a moment. You see Paul tell Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is not talking about his salvation. He's talking about the gifts that he has been given. 
One of the greatest lies that you can believe across this church is as a believer that you have nothing to offer. One of the things I hear often from people is, I just, I don't have much to offer. I'm just here. I don't really have that much. This is the very thing that kept me from living in my calling as a pastor and as a minister is because I didn't think I had much to offer the Lord. Can I, can I tell you, if you please write this down on your outline, you have a gift that God has given you. All of you, young, old, across this room, believe it in the fullness of your heart, you have been given a gift from the Lord. As you come to the knowledge of Jesus, as you trust in him, as you connect to the Holy Spirit, God gives good gifts to his own. Across this room, believe it in the fullness of your heart, God has given you and entrusted a gift to you. One of the greatest lies that the enemy can tell you is that you have nothing to offer. God's given you nothing, you have no gift, you have nothing to give, you have nothing to offer. You are just a normal, average human being without any extraordinary giftings. In the same way as you look around you, nobody around you looks the same. Everybody around you has unique gifts that God has given you. To some of you in this room, you're incredible creatives. You can draw and create the most incredible things. For some of you, you can administrate. For some of you, you can teach. Across this room, there are gifts in a variety of ways. And we see that clearly from the word of God, that God has given everyone a gift to be used and to be utilized. But secondly, on your outline, our gifts need to be fanned. Our gifts need to be fanned. The supposition here is Paul telling Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. The implication is that at times our gifts can be not into a flame, right? It can grow cold. It can be like the coals on a fire that grow cold over time when they're disengaged from those around it. And some of us in this room have let our gifts atrophy over time. The implication from Paul to Timothy is that you need to work out, as we talked about last week, to train for godliness, to work out your gifts, to train. You're reminded of the parable of the talents that Jesus talked about. That there were those who were, the master gave a a certain amount of talents and those who he gave a little bit less and those who gave a little bit less. And when Jesus came, or the master came back, he was delighted in those who invested and utilized the gifts that they had been given. The recognition is our gifts need to be fanned. But number three, let us also remember how those gifts get fanned. Let me just tell you, I believe that encouragement fans the flame. Now, we are personally responsible for training ourselves for godliness, for preparing ourselves, for training up and fanning the flame in our own heart. But can I tell you, we are also responsible for encouraging and fanning the flame in others. And I believe encouragement is the avenue by which we can fan the flame in other people's souls, fan the, fan the gift that is in others. Now, let me give you some imagery that helps. Now, this has helped me as I'm thinking about encouraging other people to fan the flame. Let me tell you about one of the worst days of my young life. Uh, I was a pastor before coming to First Baptist of Argo Baptist Church, a small country rural church. And there's one lady, Miss Ernestine Henley, who is watching our service today. Miss Ernestine, I love you and your pound cakes are fantastic. Thank you um, for who you are and uh, bless you as you continue to uh, strengthen your, your body here. But the, the small country church was just a, it was an incredible place. Their goal for me was twofold. They wanted to fatten me up 
And so after services, we'd go through potluck and no kidding, every one of the ladies would come by and poke my belly like the Michelin man and see if I was getting fatter every week, like poking my stomach. It works good for me. It didn't work as good for my wife. Didn't find that uh, very kind, but that was our goal to fatten us up. But the men had a secondary goal. Uh, Because I didn't carry a pocket knife, they didn't believe that I was a man. And so they entrusted to me that I was going to carry a pocket knife like the record show, and I'm carrying a pocket knife today, that it was their goal to make me a man and uh, to carry a pocket knife as men should do. One of the things that they wanted to do on their roadway to make me a man was to take me out camping. And so they took me out camping on what was the coldest night in the history of mankind. (laughs) And I bought my tent at the Dollar Tree and... My uh, sleeping bag uh, was, I think, rated for like 75 degrees, um, and it actually made you colder by sleeping in it. I'm not sure how that happened. But it got to be around two in the morning, and it was legitimately the coldest, most miserable moment of my life. And I decided that this wasn't working out, so I was going to get up and try to go sit by the fire. And so I got up and walked out to the fire, and Fingers are numb, body is miserable, but they've made it apparent that I'm not much of a man, so I can't really like complain, right? I can't go get in the car and turn on the heater. I've got to endure this miserable night. So I got up at two in the morning and went to go sit by this fire, but was, was so saddened to see that the fire had essentially gone all the way out. And about the time that I opened the flap and went out and looked at the fire, one of our deacons got up, the the chair of the deacons got up, and he noticed that I was as miserable as could possibly be. And just with just this beautiful moment, this chair of the deacons, noticing how miserable I am, noticing how frustrated and cold and just miserable I am, got up. And he stood by the fire, and he began to just fan the fire slowly, and that small little fire began to roar to life. And there at two in the morning, I just sat by the fire and just the body just began to just calm down. Heat began to wave over my body. All these digits that couldn't move began to thaw out. And that deacon just began to sit there for about an hour, just fanning that little fire and talking to me, encouraging me, just fanning the fire over and over again, just small fanning the fire. And that imagery has helped me so much when I'm thinking about my role as pastor, as friend, as encourager of other people. That there are a lot of people whose whose fingers are numb with the, the cold that's all around, they're frustrated, and my goal in life is just to fan the flame. To encourage by fanning the flame. To just walk up, and, and so I see my encouragement is just fanning the flame of cold souls of people who are hurting and miserable and in the dark and in the cold. My goal every time I encourage is I'm just fanning that small little ember of a flame. To everybody you encourage, all you're doing is you're just fanning the flame. Just simply, subtly fanning the flame. There are those whose whose faith embers have grown cold and you're just walking up fanning the flame. There are those whose spiritual gifts have grown cold and you're simply fanning the flame. And so how do we fan the flame? Do you walk up to somebody and just start, just, no, you fan the flame, number one, by using your words. 
Use your words. You can do this today. I'll even give you a pass if you want to pull out your phone and start encouraging people right now through text message. Encourage people with your words. I cannot say this and emphasize this enough. Use your words to encourage the people around you. If you have a mom who is alive today, pick up the phone and encourage her about how you have seen and watched her and what she has sacrificed and done. Use your words. In your words, you have the power of life and the power of death. Friends, across this room, use your words to fan the flame of the gifts that God has entrusted to the people around you. You may think it, You may believe it in the depths of your being, but until you speak it to somebody, it does no good to fan the flame of their soul. Write cards, write letters, write notes, call people on the phone, go have lunch with people and fan the flame of the gift that God has entrusted. Use your words, but also use your presence alongside people. You see our scripture memory for the month is do not neglect to meet together, but consider how to stir one another up encouraging one another. And the fact in the middle is that not neglecting to meet together, the presence of God's people together, encouraging one another, stirs the flame, fans the flame of the gift that God has entrusted to each one of us. So use your words, use your presence, and fan the flame of the gift that God has entrusted. Fan your, fan your own flame, but fan the, fan the flame of the gift of those who God has put around you. So let me ask you the question, how will you fan into flame the gift of God? That's a question, and maybe underneath it, you just need to start writing out names of people. You need to start writing out things that God has called on your heart right now. How do you fan into flame the gift of God? Because the reality is right after verse six is verse seven. For God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I think there's a reason why Paul would write right after this to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you have been given. And right after he would say, for God has given you, Paul, at Timothy, not a spirit of fear. I believe Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're going to walk out in the midst of a cold and dark and difficult world. Hey, Timothy, you're, you're, you're walking out into a difficult place. Hey, Timothy, you're walking out into a difficult place where there is all sorts of mess all around you. It's cold and dark and difficult. Hey, Timothy, fan into flame. Be burning bright and hot and bright because you're walking out in the midst of a crooked and dark generation. So Timothy, fan into flame and recognize that God has given you, Timothy, not a spirit that is afraid. Not a spirit that would cower in fear. Not a spirit that would be adverse to the difficulty. Not a spirit that would cower in the darkness, but a spirit that is filled with power, love, and self-control. I seem to remember at some point in our church's history, we have memorized that scripture. For God has given you moms. For God has given you dads. For God has given you kids. For God has given you disciples. For God has given you men and women across this room, a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So across this room, let's fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Recognize that God has given you a great and glorious gift. Fan it into flame and burn bright for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you.
Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that Lois and Eunice had a lived out faith. Thank you that Timothy recognized it and saw it. Thank you for the mentors like Paul who came beside Timothy. Thank you for the foundation of faith. Lord, as I look across this room, I see a lot of moms and grandmothers who have have laid the foundation of faith. I see those who are walking with you, those who are striving towards you. I see those who are struggling. I see those who are wanting to follow you, Lord. Lord, Across this room, whether we have kids, whether we don't have kids, whether whether we're young or whether we're old, Lord, I pray that we have a lived out, well-worn faith. That the gospel, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly so that it would flow out of us naturally. Thank you, Lord, that you give us not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and self-control. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.